Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. They are who we thought they were. On Yahoo Sports Radio. Talk of Fame Network's brought to you by MyCleanPC. If your computer runs slowly, log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software that can clean up what may be slowing your computer down. That's MyCleanPC.com. As we mentioned at the top of the show, this is the 50th anniversary of the merged NFL draft, the first ever conducted jointly with and by the AFL and NFL in 1967. Our next guest, of course, was the second overall selection of that draft. We're talking about halfback Clint Jones of Michigan State. Clint was one of four Spartans taken in the first eight picks. Four with defensive tackle Bubba Smith going first overall, linebacker George Webster fifth, and wide receiver Gene Washington eighth. No school since has had four of the top eight picks of a draft, and I know because our resident Spartan honk, Rick Goslin, told me. <laughs> Clint Jones, thanks for joining us, and happy anniversary. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. We've got the Michigan State marching band behind us here. <laughs> yeah, the best in the nation, <laughs> hey, Clint, Michigan State was one of the top NFL producers in the 60s with such elite prospects as Herb Adderley, George Sames, Gary Ballman, Fred Arbanis, Ed Buddy, all benefiting financially from the bidding war between the two leagues. I'm sure it was an honor for you to be the second overall pick of your draft, but there w- was there any disappointment that there was no bidding war for your services? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it really uh, cut, cut, took a lot of money out of our pocket. But I'm sure that was their intention. <laughs> but at the time, you know, I was so appreciative to even be drafted as high as I did and to be able to even play professional football and get the contract that I did. And I didn't have an agent. As a matter of fact, I went in with my mother to uh, talk and negotiate with uh, Jim Fink. And a guy named uh, Buddy Young had been babysitting me uh, prior to the season and all the off season after my junior year. So he kind of like uh, kind of brainwashed us, and so <laughs> he did us a disfavor, actually. <laughs> I'll bet he did. Uh, the draft in those days, of course, wasn't what it is today, uh, Clint. As you know, uh, you know, no TV back then, no big Mel Kiper hairdo, uh, no publicity, fanfare, any of that stuff. Just wondering, how did you find out that you were the second overall uh, pick, a choice by the Vikings? Well, uh, actually, Buddy Young was by my side. Buddy Young was up me like white and white, white and rice. Yeah, I know. Actually, I was supposed to go to New York, and that's where I thought I was going. And then, but he told me that like uh, there's a little change in plans. And uh, matter of fact, I can remember being in New York, I believe, and uh, the coach Van Brocklin. I think yep. he was still the coach, and uh, well, he was in the audience or something. And I looked back behind him, and he winked at me. And I said, that's kind of weird. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, but, you know, it wasn't kind of wink like, you know, hey, you know, good luck. It was another kind of wink. But at any rate, I wind up going to uh, Minnesota, and I tell you, I have no regrets whatsoever. It was a blessing. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the merged NFL-AFL draft with former running back Clint Jones, 
was very happy to be in Minnesota and was the second overall pick of that draft in 1967. And Clint, just wondering, did you, I mentioned um, Bubba Smith and, and George Webster and, and Gene Washington. Did you guys have any friendly bets or friendly competition, wagers, whatever, over who would go highest in that draft? Not at all. It wasn't even in my consciousness. And I, don't, I don't know if it wasn't in Bubba's, uh, but one thing I knew, I knew that Don Shula was going to draft uh, Bubba. I knew that because Don Shula came to Michigan State, and he had a talk. He took Bubba and I to lunch, and he had a talk with us, and he was trying to make up his mind. And so he's interviewing us, and he's talking to us. And at that meeting, uh, he said that uh, you know he's going to probably go with Bubba because, you know, they had Big Daddy Lipskin. Bubba kind of reminded uh, them of him and also uh, me, you know, Lenny Moore. So that was uh, kind of his thinking. And so I, I knew that Bubba was going to go first, but I wasn't, uh, you know, it was such a phenomenal experience that, you know, I just, you know, just just think about it. You know, we didn't have all the hype and everything they have now. You know, that was, a, you know, the, the, to get that kind of opportunity was like, a, you know, like winning a lotto. So it yeah, they never, couldn't. You know, they couldn't take you to lunch today. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> hey, Clint. Back, I mean, back in, it's a different culture now. A totally different culture. Clint, back in the early '60s, the SEC and the Southwest Conference weren't recruiting African American players. Even the Big Ten and Pac-8 were minimal participants in such recruiting. But Duffy Doherty at Michigan State threw the door open and recruited the South heavily, pulling Bubba, Gene Washington, George Webster all out of Texas and stocking his roster with African-American players. What other options did you have coming out of high school? And did the black players on that Michigan State team sense at the time they were becoming trailblazers for future generations? We didn't even think about it. You know, you know it was primarily on our mind? Keeping each other in school because it was a culture shock for a lot of the guys. So one time Bubba wanted to leave. Another time Charles Thornhill wanted to leave. It was really it was a cultural shock for a lot of the guys. You know, it, it was the same it was for me also. We spent a lot of time encouraging each other. Duffy's uh, recruiting that he had a relationship with the coaches in the South. You know he's putting on clinics for them, and so he had a. Uh, he had leads and uh, relationships that he had developed in the black in the black high schools in the South. So, it's, so it's no wonder that like uh, that he uh, recruited so many players and things just kind of happened. I don't think anybody really had an idea what we had when they sent us up to play the varsity. That's when I started popping, and they realized this is a very special group of young men. He had eight players, as you mentioned, talk about special. He had eight players selected in the 67 draft, six more in the 68 draft. Uh, as talented as that team was, how does Notre Dame ever tie you 10-10 to 10 in, in, in 1966 and spoil a perfect season? I remember yelling at the TV, somebody go for it. Uh, but, but I was a kid. Uh, how did that ever happen with a team as talented as your team? Well, that's a good question. You know, something that's kind of meant to be, but I'll tell you what. Had it not been a tie, it wouldn't have been immortalized like it has. It's <laughs> yeah, very, you're right you're about that. Find very difficult to remember who's the national champions in any year. Yeah. Except maybe last year. But everybody, there's something about that was like a, there's a paradigm shift in consciousness and in sports and the NCAA. It just, everybody remembers it. And it was something that was seen not only in the United States, but in Hawaii, you've seen overseas, you know, I think in Europe and Vietnam, you know, and it was an internationally televised game. 
And that was the first, first time they had sideline uh, cameras. There was a lot of firsts about that 1966 team, a lot of them that a lot of people don't know about, you know. So, uh, you know, that's one of those things in history that happened. It's not a planned thing. But actually, you know, if you really look at the film, you'll see where Jesse Phillips intercepted a pass, and they didn't give it to him. We've got about a minute to go here, and, and, and I want to ask you one last question. Speaking of first, um, if, if you had to do all over again, if you look at the draft, the players you've seen since, who would be the first running back you'd draft from any era? From any era, looking back? Yeah. Wow, that's a tough question. Outside of yourself, of course. Wow, that's, uh, you know, so many great ones. You know, well, Ernie Davis, Ernie Davis, you know. Okay. And Ben. Uh, Barry Sanders, you know, that's Jim a Brown. Question: Jim Brown, you know, absolutely Jim Brown. He's my both of those two are my heroes, Jim Brown and Ernie Davis. And I and it, and as a matter of fact, the influence that Ernie Davis had in me when I heard that he died, I made a vow that I was going to break the record in every hurdle race that I ran because I ran the hurdles, and I did. I had uh-huh. such a passion about him, you know, and one both the record and the state track meet and at Ohio State and in the city meet to prepare for that. So, you know, there's so many outstanding athletes. It's all about fortune. I don't mean good luck. Being the right place at the right time, the circumstances, a lot of things have to come into come into play. And it's kind of like a, it's a karmic type of situation, Some, you know, where all the pieces just kind of fit into place for anything like that to happen. And we just had that fortune. Clint, I want to thank you so much for the time. And you know what? Thanks for the memories of the 1967 draft. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I appreciate it. Thanks, Clint. That was former running back Clint Jones. When we return, we'll hear why Sam Bradford deserves your sympathy. Not. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Another reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. 